This is Steve Jelsey, senior writer at The Deal. Jermaine Gurr, an M&A partner at White & Case, is an honoree in The Deal's top women in deal-making list released in January. Let's welcome Jermaine Gurr to our Women in M&A Deal-Making podcast. Well, thank you, Steve. Very much looking forward to talking to you today. Thank you for having us. Great. And we're joined by Peter Wexler, Senior Vice President and Chief Legal Officer at Schneider Electric, the French conglomerate. Peter, thanks for joining us. Thank you, Steve. Pleasure to be here. So just by way of introduction, Jermaine Gurr works out of White & Case's M&A practice in New York, advising clients on mergers and acquisitions, private equity, securities offerings, capital raising opportunities, joint venture and commercial transactions, and general corporate matters. Have I missed anything? No, that's a mouthful. I think M&A is fine, but thank you, Steve. Jermaine, you were the lead partner on the legal team advising Schneider Electric and its roughly $2 billion acquisition of Larson and Tubro's electrical and automation business, as well as other deals for the French multinational company. Talk about your role in this complex cross-border carve-out deal. What challenges did it face and how did you put together your deal team for this transaction? Sure thing, Steve. My role working closely with Peter Wexler as a chief legal officer of Schneider Electric was to make sure ultimately that the acquisition of Larson and Tuberville's electric and automation business closed in a smooth fashion, efficiently, and in the time that was required under the deal documentation to negotiate the transaction, to diligence the transaction, and to work closely with our partners in India, AZB and Trilegal on the antitrust filings and on the negotiation of the deal overall. And it took roughly about two and a half years from start to finish. Although I'm sure Peter will tell you that it probably took a lot longer than that in terms of the strategy of Schneider Electric over the years. Let's move over to Peter and talk about the deal. But before we do, I want to point out that M&A transactions do not usually take two years to reach closing, but it's totally possible in more complex transactions. At the same time, we're seeing more and more deals involving cross-border complications. This transaction had a lot of cross-border elements to it. Peter, what made this transaction particularly important to Schneider Electric, but also challenging as well? Well, its importance was that it makes India our fourth hub. It makes it a significant presence for us with about 15,000 people and one of our highest revenue countries on a country basis. Larson and Tubero was a long-standing well-respected brand name in low and medium voltage. And it's really exciting that we were able to come together with them, specifically low voltage and some automation. It took a long time because it was unclear if they were going to part with the asset. Actually, we started talking to them sometime in 2009. And eventually we came to terms in 2017, 2018 with the deal really kicking off in 2018. It was complex because it was a carve-out of an existing business, not an insubstantial business. It was very integrated, and that took a lot of time. Larson Tubero is a historically tough negotiating partner, so that also took time. And I think we both wanted the best for our companies. And there were some significant regulatory hurdles we had to overcome, including in front of the CCI, the Competition Commission of India, which took a lot of effort on the Larson and Tubro side, the Schneider side, the advisor side, and some flexibility on the competition commission side and some vision. And I think in the end, it was just a complicated deal within India and outside of India, which drove the timeline. I don't think COVID hurt it actually in the end of the day. 
but that was another complicating and interesting factor when you add up the sum of its parts. Jermaine, you came in on this challenging deal as a partner at White & Case. You put together the deal team for this transaction. Could you walk us through that process and how you tackle these challenges? As Peter mentioned, the deal had various phases. And one of the critical phases was how do we get to a smooth closing? When we knew that we had antitrust clearance and we needed to pivot to close the deal, COVID was in full swing. And that led to some regulatory foreign investment changes in different parts of the world. And doing a deal over a two and a half year period, you also have to kind of update your diligence. The way we tackled it with Schneider and White and Case was to really take a dual hemisphere team approach. And so we had teams representing on the legal side from both Schneider's legal department and White and Case's legal department based in Asia Pac and also lawyers in the US and honestly sprinkled in other parts of the world as well. That really allowed the Schneider legal team and the Schneider business team along with the White and Case legal team to provide effectively 24-7 support, as I'm sure Peter will mention as well, on the transaction where we could be available or different members of the team could be available to address any issues and also to keep the ball rolling because ultimately we had a deadline that we couldn't pass and all the regulatory changes and some of the closures as a result of COVID and the diligence that needed to be updated and the renegotiating of some points led to complexities and time that required everyone to be available all the time. Right. In our story about this transaction and the deal about your career, diversity played a big role in this as well. You had a key person on the ground in Egypt, for example. How did this transaction reinforce the importance of having a diverse team in place at White & Case? Sure. Diversity played a key role because as a whole, both on the Schneider side and the White and Case side, we took this multi-country approach for staffing. We were able to benefit from different perspectives and from different backgrounds and experience on transactions. And to the point that you mentioned, for example, somewhere along the way in the two and a half year process, the Saudi rules changed with respect to antitrust clearance. And it required us to figure out a way to get antitrust approval in Saudi as quickly as possible, knowing that we were going to be one of the first files that would be reviewed under the new rules in Saudi. And having someone on the White and Case team and having Peter's experience, having worked on many files that require antitrust approval, allowed us to quickly coordinate and get the relevant information from the business teams on the ground in the Middle East for Schneider Electric and put the filing in and then leverage the experience and background of our team members in our antitrust group to rely on their relationships locally in the Middle East to help forge the approval process and get it done as quickly as possible. And we were able to actually meet the timeline we had anticipated, which was much more accelerated than you would typically see. 
Peter, I wanted to get back to you about issues around diversity in corporations in the U.S. and around the world, as we've touched on that a bit already with the Schneider Electric deal. But first, I thought it would be interesting to talk to Jermaine about her views on diversity. This is a reflection of your entire career, Jermaine. Bring us back to your career and how you've been a proponent for women in the legal profession, especially with more women as partners at major law firms. How did you get interested in law? I've been interested in being a captain of industry since I was very, very young. And somehow I equated being an M&A corporate lawyer with at least being close to captains of industry. So I'm still on that path. And in terms of the question about diversity and opening pathways for women and people of color in the legal profession and in corporate America, it's important to lead by example. And I think Schneider Electric, having worked there previously and worked with Peter closely, has been a great example of diversity, equity, and inclusion, having diverse makeup of its executive committee, board members, and senior management at all the senior levels, and then making that a real goal and strategy of the company. And similarly, in law firms and in White and Case in particular, we take an approach at White and Case to look for the best person, but also to make sure to call ourselves out, to make sure we're recruiting women and people of color that can be the leaders of the firm and to bring that diversity of perspective. Because ultimately, as I think you'll see with the appointment of the new CEO of Walgreens, where the Walgreens stock shot up 8%, and it's the first Black female CEO of a Fortune 500 company, People care about diversity. Corporate America and Wall Street cares about diversity. And people believe that it ultimately makes companies more successful. And perhaps Peter can talk a little bit about some of the programs that he oversees at Schneider Electric and that Schneider has in promoting diversity, equity, and inclusion. Peter, Schneider Electric is based in Paris. Do you think European firms are ahead on this front of American companies? What are your thoughts on the growing role of diversity inclusion in big companies? I really can't speak for the rest of the companies in Europe because I've seen some parochialism in many companies, both in the U.S. and abroad. I can, after a long and a career so far at Schneider Electric, say that we are, and everybody says they're committed to it. I think you know, Jermaine alluded to the fact that she used to work at Schneider Electric. Yeah, she used to work in the same department as myself, along with many other people. I think that one of the goals, at least of Schneider, and I certainly take this to heart, and I think uh, the team bears that out, both the team that was on the Larson Tubro deal or any other deal or in, in the department today, exemplify a diverse culture. We pride ourselves on, on at least and I focus on it, putting the right person in the job, irrespective of where they came from, female, male, color, ethnicity, gender, gender identification, however you want to look at it, those things go out the window with us. And we pick the best athlete for the job. That's evident of the people that are there now and that were there in the past that have gone on to other things like becoming judges and, and, and other career paths. And I think it makes us a lot healthier an old adage a boss used to say to me is when two people think alike all the time, one of them is not necessary. So if everybody was the same, <laughs> you really wouldn't have a lot of diversity of opinion. It, it comes really down to intelligence and hard work, and that's how we look at it. And Jermaine exemplified that when she was there. Other people on the team that are still there, others that have left, exemplify that. I think we're, we're probably in the legal department 
legal insurance risk management, but probably probably 65% female. And of that, I think if you had to break it down, many of the people are from their native countries. And that, that in of itself promotes diversity. It's a very healthy mix of lots of ideas and lots of backgrounds. And I think Schneider Electric's commitment to it is excellent. I can't really, like I said, speak for the other companies. I, I always feel that when somebody gets a position, they should get it because they've earned it. Really, it comes down to performance, and that's how it goes at Schneider Electric. And I think that once you strip it away, you get the best people. And I think Jermaine, when she was here, was evidence of that. She brings that to White and Case. Clearly, they feel the same way because they brought her in. And I know you asked about diversity on the Larson and Tubero deal. We had a great local team. On the ground was a, a fantastic person. Her name is Damini, Damini Chowdhury, and she did yeoman's work amongst the team, getting things done. And was a true leader on the ground there. The deal was a little more complex than we say because we had a joint venture partner in Tomasic, the sovereign fund out of Singapore, and she liaised with them. And so you had quite a diverse team on that deal. You have a quite a diverse team in the department. So I think it, it all works seamlessly and they're all very professional and work well together. Okay, great. Is there any kind of technique that you use to break the ice, Jermaine or Peter? You have so many different people in the room from so many different parts of the world with different backgrounds. Does someone open up with a joke or comment on the weather? How do people bond? Jermaine, why don't you start with that? I, I'd love to get Peter's take because as I was getting ready for this meeting, I was thinking about the fact that Peter has a way of disarming people, which makes him a great negotiator when he walks into a room, whether it's virtual or physical. So I'm sure he's got many ways of doing that and he should talk about them. For me, generally trying to be human, which is actually one of the values <laughs> of White and Case, and recognizing that when you're getting on a phone call or you're walking into a business meeting, you know, this isn't the end all be all for everyone in the room. And most people are thinking or have something going on outside of their lives that you know about or you don't know about. And sometimes it's nice to take the time to, to ask people about their days or what's going on and to take some interest in them outside of the workplace to build that connection and, and bond. Any thoughts on how you break the ice? It depends on the circumstance. I think, I think <laughs> one, of the, one of the things that's interesting about a negotiation, it depends on how you're dealing with it. You have lots of different elements. You have the back with your team. You have that you may not know everybody. You have the, the team across the table from you. In our case, we had three teams because we had a joint venture partner. You have lots of lawyers in the room, some of which had big egos and needed to make their point. But I think one of the interesting things about it is, and I try, I'm not always successful, is to really put everybody in the same playing field. I'm not talking about gender here. What I'm talking about is sometimes you have an assistant or you have somebody who's a little bit junior. You try to make them feel included because if you can show that everybody's equal around the table, even though it may not be true in some ways and treat everybody the same, I think that goes a long way because it kind of strips away the facade of any agenda. And I think that's important. You come across, I think Jermaine said the word human. Human, yeah, I would say more genuine, more open. If you show a willingness and openness, then you can have a dialogue. You may not agree with the people across the table. You definitely have different uh, goals in mind. Maybe getting the deal done is the ultimate goal, but you're out there to protect your company and get the best deal. 
in very rare circumstances can you take advantage of another sophisticated company because they are smart people across the table and you treat them with respect and you treat them from the top down from the assistant all the way to the CEO you're meeting with because you never know what's going to come back and bite you so you really if you people know you're genuine and you're open when you're starting it gets you a lot further i think than starting from a posture of i'm just going to have my way and that's the way it's going to be i don't think that's very productive and i think that's the best way to start personally Jermaine, about 37% of law school graduates are women right now, according to the American Bar Association's 2020 estimates. That number is a lot lower when you're talking about partners at major law firms. I wanted to change gears and talk about the dynamics in the legal profession in terms of getting more women and minorities in senior roles. Any thoughts on how this could be improved? I mean, that's a big topic. It's certainly true that amongst the top 100 firms you're looking at in different categories, whether it's Vault or American Lawyer, that if you were to search at the associate level, you'll find a fairly good mix between women and men. But as you get to the more senior positions, certainly in corporate and even more so in mergers and acquisitions and private equity, there are very few women um, and very few people of color or a combination of people of color who are women that are at the partner or senior level. I used to joke around when I was at Schneider Electric working on M&A deals at the time, working with a partner who was a woman. And we would go to the ladies room and say, well, isn't this nice? I mean, I think in the 10 years that I've been working as an M&A lawyer, because you don't see that that often, the ladies room is usually empty and the line is usually in the men's Mm -hmm. room. Yeah. I think the way to get more access for women in those senior positions, one, you have to do it for all the reasons that Peter mentioned on the importance of diversity and why it's a good thing. But two, it's important, one, because if women can't see role models in other women, then it's really hard to know what path and how you get to the path to get there. So it's important that law firms continue to focus and do a better job of recruiting and retaining top talent who are women. And two, it's about breaking down the stereotypes when you're looking to promote people and calling people out if they say things like, well, you know, I think she's just got married and she might have a kid soon. So maybe she'll get passed up for partner. We don't say that when we're talking about men. And so, you know, you constantly have to be an advocate. And again, having more people who are dealing with those situations, more women who are dealing with those situations and in the room will allow people to recognize that you've got to have an open mind. I think Peter alluded to that. You've got to have an open mind. You've got to make sure to question your standards, and you've got to create pathways and opportunities for women to continue to succeed. I think we're far from that today. Law firms are looking to continue to focus on hiring women, but you know, I'd say senior, senior women partners at law firms working in M&A and corporate probably make up 10% or less of law firm partners. I don't know exactly what the number is, but in my experience, it's not very high. We're nearing the end of the podcast. I wanted to ask Jermaine and Peter, what's next? 
Peter, talk about the future for Schneider Electric. You managed to do this very complex carve out that finally closed in late 2020. Are we going to see more complex cross-border deals in the future? Without commenting on anything confidential, how do you see the art of M&A evolving at Schneider Electric? Well, I'm going to stay away from anything confidential, but I'm going to say that it's Schneider Electric. <laughs> and, and I can guarantee you what we're going to do and what we are positioned to do will be both interesting and innovative. We have a lot of carve-outs coming. And we are looking at very interesting things in the future. And I can only say that with the diverse team we have today, it will definitely be strategic and hopefully a little bit novel. Let me add that there are a lot of high deal prices in the MA world right now that we write about at the deal. One of the ways to make a deal work is to do deals that others can't do. In other words, if you handle more complexity, it'll give you an advantage. Would you agree with that, Peter? Absolutely. And you have seen in the paper what we did with Aviva, which was innovative. And that deal in 2018-19 turned around. And this summer, we signed a deal to buy OSI Soft for $5 billion, using that deal as a leverage point. And I would think that is not only cutting edge, but trend setting. And a lot of companies have come to us, asked us how we did it. Jermaine was partially involved in that deal. And it, you need to be creative. You're absolutely right, Stephen. Creativity gets you the deal. Jermaine, looking at your career, just to recap, you're the daughter of a Cuban immigrant. You've managed to become a partner at a major law firm. What's next for you? Given what's going on in the world around us with the pandemic and deal activity actually soaring, my focus is to make sure to stay grounded, to make sure to be thinking of others. And I think what you'll see at White and Case soon, and I can't divulge confidential information, is when we're looking at diversity, we're starting to think about it in myriad ways, just on every level. And when we think about staffing deal teams, especially coming out of the success on the Larson and Tubro deal, we're thinking about it also by making sure that we're taking a look at the skill sets that the people have on the teams that are being put together And that, to Peter's point, making sure that you've got a diversity of skill sets on the team as well, because that brings value to clients and makes deals happen quickly and more efficiently and brings some creativity too. Okay, Peter Wexler, Senior Vice President and Chief Legal Officer at Schneider Electric and Jermaine Gurr, M&A Partner at White & Case. Thanks for joining us. Thank you. Thank you. Again, this has been the Deals Podcast on Top Women in M&A Dealmaking. This podcast was sponsored by White & Case. This is Steve Jelsey, senior writer at The Deal, signing off.